Hey, and welcome to the Raising Your Game podcast with me, Lewis Hatchett. On my journey to professional sport, I was always fascinated in what the best in the world were doing and how I could implement it into my own life. I believe that we can all take something from the world of sport that can not only benefit our sporting aspirations and goals, but our day-to-day lives too. I'm going to be speaking to those in and outside the world of sport, exercise and high performance to hear their stories that will hopefully give you insights, advice and ideas for raising your game. Hey guys, before we get into this week's podcast, I wanted to just thank you to everyone who has been leaving a rating and a review for the podcast. It means the world for me that you are leaving these comments and I'm getting messages. And if you're able to leave a rating review, if you haven't done already, then please, it means the world that I can help boost this podcast, get it out there, find more athletes, find more people in and around the world of sport to create more interviews so that I get more of this information out to you. So if you're able to share it with a friend or family member, let me know as well if you are leaving a rating review. I'd love to thank you personally. Love to hear what this podcast is doing for you. You can find me over on Instagram at the Sport Yogi or even on Facebook. You could also find me over on email, lewis at thesportyogi.com. So I look forward to hearing from you. In this episode, I speak with Australian marathon runner Jess Trengove. Having competed in the London 2012, the Rio 2016 Olympics, Jess had recently given birth to her new son, Billy, only four months ago, and is already back on the road and training for her next race. We talk about how she got into running, how she was able to train whilst being pregnant, also the challenges of being a new mum and training, as well as her aspirations of competing in the future. This was a great episode, and we even had Billy with us in the background. He was having a great time and also makes an appearance in the podcast Let's get into this podcast. It was a brilliant episode and I hope that you enjoy. Jess and Billy. Yes. (laughs) So we've got to um, thank you for joining me here in this park, which is uh, what you were just saying is your local run area. It's a beautiful day, but I am... I appreciate you coming here. I actually might as well start off with your congratulations on being a, a new mum. Thank you. <laughs> and um, how's it been with Billy? Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, he's a he's a chilled little baby generally. I mean, he the last three weeks have been a bit tough. He's been waking up more during the night, but he's he's been good over the last two nights. But honestly, it's just it's been the best. My whole life has changed. Um, you know, in a in a really positive way. I just um, have a new perspective, I guess, and. Uh, Dylan and I are really enjoying parenthood. He's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, and you were saying you're still... How, how old is he? He's four and a half months. And the old. pregnancy was absolutely fine and there was... You were... You're now training... Were you training during the pregnancy? Yeah, look, I... Um, early on in the pregnancy, wanted to do my research to find out the best approach because my plan was always to try and run again at the highest level one day and I wanted to set myself up to be able to, you know, do that in the, the smartest way possible. So I continued training but incorporated a lot of cross-training. So I um, got a membership at a local gym that's got, you know, pool, um, good ellipticals and yeah. um, stair climbers, uh bikes and whatnot and then as the pregnancy progressed just chose the appropriate form of training so I stopped running at about well at 27 weeks pregnant Billy flipped into breach and his head was sort of under my ribs which caused a lot of discomfort so (laughs) he's making a bit of noise back there um 
so that's about the point where I stopped running because it became quite uncomfortable. But I also thought um, that's insane. Twenty six weeks. Yeah, in, well, you still go. Well, you just still well, going. Well, a lot of people will run beyond that, but it does put a lot of pressure on your pelvis and your ligaments and your pelvic floor muscles. You know, running with that new weight and body composition. So I was kind of grateful that I wasn't running through that time because yeah. once um, Billy was born, I kind of you know, didn't have too many um, issues that prevented me from getting back into running. I obviously, because he was in breach, I ended up having a cesarean section, which meant they wow. cut through um, a number of layers of, yeah. wow. you know, um, the abdominal area. So I lost a, a fair bit of strength there. So just had to regain that, get my pelvic control back and again, eased back into running through a lot of cross training. We've done that in like four months. <laughs> and and that's, that's, insa- that's incredible, like to, to have that. I mean... Some people wouldn't just think of, well, some people who have pregnancies and barely think about working out or like really struggling for workouts. But how far were you, what, what sort of training were you doing? Were you altering a lot of your, I'm having to assume you're altering a lot of your training? Yeah, well, so through pregnancy, I was sort of generally an hour a day of either swimming or elliptical. And then in the later stages, I, I backed that off a bit. Um, but sort of was able to maintain my energy levels throughout. Um, my big concern getting back into it after Billy was born was... I guess um, a priority of mine was to be able to um, breastfeed and fortunately I've been able to do that Um, but you know there's a lot of vitamins and minerals that are really important for injury prevention and health which I guess you're losing through your breast milk as well as your training so you know iron being one calcium so I've um, had to really make sure I'm eating a lot and you know meals that are packed with all of those nutrients because otherwise um yeah you could really empty your stores and and get into strife not just from an injury perspective but illness and immunity and whatnot what have you found has been the biggest challenge then um for me probably the logistics so where I used to just be able to head out the door for a run now obviously I'm looking at um you know, who can watch Billy while I'm running, having to be so organised yeah. weeks in advance, lining up some um, babysitters and <laughs> my husband gets home from work and we do a quick tag team and I, I head out the door and when I get back, he goes to training. Um, he trains for, you know, shorter distances, the 800 metres. But yeah. it's honestly, it's been quite refreshing because I used to get nervous about, you know, a big session the next morning and now I just am excited to to be out there you know running around and I I really hadn't run competitively for over a year so it's exciting to be back doing that and I I guess I see running in a a bit of a different way now and it's it's really nice. (laughs) You were saying that you were you were training for the Hamburg uh, marathon which has sadly been cancelled because of all the coronavirus um, outbreak but was that the plan? Was that like the plan to right I'm gonna have this pregnancy and then I'm gonna train and and this is just going to happen was there speed bumps were there like some walls in the way that yeah I kind of had my plan a b c d and um, the the plan from early on was if I can run a marathon within the qualify the Olympic qualifying period so that's um until May 31st um I would give it a go but if that was um disrupted because of you know, anything, injury, illness, me struggling to cope, but more so if, if Billy didn't seem to be handling me doing the training, um, 
<laughs> Hope he's not being too noisy just, there no, in the background. He's just, he's just having a great time. He's just <laughs> he staring is, up at the sky and smiling. He at wants it. to be part of it. Um, yeah, if if there were any you know challenges along the way, my next plan would be to maybe look at a marathon later in the year. Um, and if that weren't to go ahead, you know, look at different options altogether. So it was really just let's see how this pans out. And my coach Adam Didick, he's got two sons of his own, and he was really conservative and saying, look. Obviously, the number one priority is for you to um, soak up motherhood and, and that's that's got to be number one the whole time. And if you can slot in some training and then if we can start to pick that up, that's that's a bonus. And so there was never any pressure. It was kind of just exploring, I guess, each week we, we took as it came. And, uh, yeah, but it also sounds pretty planned. Like I think if you if you didn't have that plan in place, then you would have been fairly stuck and, and also really driven in knowing that you still wanted to run and, and, yeah. and this was just merely a part of what you're going through and, and something in your life that you wanted to have and, and didn't really get in the way. Yeah, well, and I see it as a positive for Billy if I'm running and working towards goals because that's what makes, that really drives me and, and keeps me, I guess, um, really positive. I, I do love working towards goals, but I also really love being out amongst the running community and I'm, you know, a big driver of mine is I guess encouraging other people to be active and I feel like yeah. running's a great my own running is a great platform for that and so if I keep um, challenging myself it gives me more opportunities to go to schools and spread you know healthy lifestyle messages and be involved um, in ambassador roles so yeah. um, I guess there are a number of reasons why I wanted to to keep the running going and it was a lot more than just you know, running a race myself, it's kind yeah. of the greater health picture. And Is that a big part? Is that a big part of, um, do you see that being a really big part of your being a mum, leading with example of, of health and fitness? And Yeah, and I've always, um, you know, admired mums out there. And, it, you know, by experiencing it myself, I've seen some of the challenges there are with conflicting advice, you know, sometimes limited guidance in what you should do. Mm throughout your pregnancy and postpartum because everyone is so different and everyone's birth experience is different. So there are no formulas that work for everyone. So a lot of people are left feeling quite um, confused about what they should be doing and I can completely relate to that now. So as a physio, you know, when I see people, I'll really understand why they may be going through a challenging time trying to work out what they should and shouldn't be doing. So, And I think the evidence is you know, slowly starting to come out, but, you know, women and exercise, it's its difficult to get control and um, you know, groups um, to do research with because no one wants to, you know, push the boundaries too far. So yeah. it, it is hard to sort of run good studies on how much exercise is appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I think it's incredible what you're doing. Like, it's, it's for mums out there, like, it's super inspiring to see what you're capable of doing with having only four months ago and now you're already running like and with the goals of trying to set for Hamburg and, and future that, that that's amazing um, going into marathon running how did how did you even get into it how did it even start for yeah, you yeah it's funny it did just evolve um, through that being my strength I guess I started running in primary school in, in Narracourt where I grew up and we had a great cross country culture there and I sort of had um I guess this natural, um, I guess, tendency to 
to have more success over the longer distances. I, I battled a bit with the sprints, but when it came to cross country day, I just sort of felt at home there, out in amongst nature and um, finding my relaxed rhythm. And so as the distances um, became longer, um, at the older I got, so it was sort of 800 metres and then 1500 metres 3K, I'd um, tend to yeah have more success with the longer distances. and. I loved netball, basketball, um, a number of other sports, but I guess um, eventually I realised like the reason I probably loved netball and basketball so much was I just loved running around and trying to get the mm. ball as often as I could. It was always sort of that underlying running theme. So when I got to the age of 21, I looked at which sport I guess I had the most potential um, in because my brother and sister, so my sister's two years younger than me and my brother's four years younger than me, they were sort of uh, achieving their goals in their chosen sport. So for my sister, it was rowing. My brother, it was um, AFL footy. And I thought, well, I want to really have a crack at a sport and decided to chase running. And my coach, Adam Didick, said, you're going to be a marathon runner one day. <laughs> and I was a bit horrified. Like the marathon looked pretty gruelling. I'd watched it at the Sydney Olympics and then at the 2006 Commonwealth Games. And I thought he was crazy to suggest that. But after running my first half marathon in 2010, I, I was like, no, nah, you're right. I, I think I'll run a marathon one day. And then um, in 2011, uh, we decided to just um, target a marathon with the idea of trying to run the Olympic qualifier because we thought there's nothing to lose here um, at the time. Benita Willis and Lisa Waitman had already qualified for the team. Australia can take up to three athletes. And so there was one spot left and we were like, let's let's have a crack at getting that final spot. Wow. Is that, was there any, I know you said your siblings are within, have got their own sports they pursued. Parents, were they runners? Were they, was there anything? Because one thing, having done a marathon myself, the training around it, you, there's a certain like lifestyle you have to take up for a, yeah. for a period of time. If you're just doing one for fun, like there's still the training you got to do and the lifestyle you have to take up. And it takes up so much time. Like it really is a time consuming thing because um, yeah. you're just on the road for so long. Yeah. Was there, was there that lifestyle at home? Was yeah. there that sort of like environment that you had? I think so. So mum and dad, they love sport. Dad played a lot of football. Mum, uh, she still plays netball, played a lot of tennis. Um, I guess running is within those sports, but they didn't go for runs as such. Um, did a lot of walking and we had an active upbringing. We'd go for family bike rides. Dad would kick the footy with us. Mum would patiently hit tennis balls back to us and run around the, the tennis court. But I think the underlying theme is that mum and dad are both very driven. I mean, okay. they're in their early to mid-60s now and dad's, um, you know, still finishing off a PhD that he uh, committed to and, you know, they're both working full-time. They just... they work very hard and have really positive attitudes and um yeah we were fortunately raised with um healthy habits like we had good nutrition um I think very a very balanced diet um probably just other lifestyle habits that I didn't acknowledge growing up you know just good bed reasonable bedtimes and things like that that I think are so essential to yeah. performance and um but predominantly it's an attitude thing, I think. Just the sky's the limit and if you want to try something, you know, give it a go and we'll support you. That's how mum and dad have always been. <laughs> Amazing. That, that environment is that environment's so so important, isn't it? Like, mm. and, and like you said, the, the attitude, that, that 
I, I'm just thinking like a lot of what I grew up with I didn't come from my my family liked sport but they didn't play loads of it around me but they were very driven in whatever they did and mm. I think that was a big part of my drive like yeah. that 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 is more important to me in an athlete than anything else other than yeah other than than the sporting physical mental well the mental side of it comes from the attitude that you gain yeah. through different things in your life but yeah. um yeah it, that, that's a phenomenal start how are we doing billy <laughs> oh he's just looking for some tension yeah. there he goes <laughs> bless him he's got the biggest eyes <laughs> he's just enjoying everything um so yeah so you've you've chose marathon like marathon was something that you were definitely going to go to when did the the, uh, the dream of like olympics come about yeah well i guess it was sort of a dream of the olympics and then the marathon was the opportunity to get there so yeah. as a child i think it was the 1996 atlanta olympics i remember watching susie o'neill in particular in the pool and other athletes i love watching the gymnastics and thinking one day i would love to go to the olympics mm. and uh we went as a family in the year 2000 to sydney it was amazing and so then when there was this potential to try and you know get a spot on the team in 2012 um i raced that marathon with that childhood olympic dream at the front of my mind and and managed to get there and uh Yes, yeah, London was an incredible learning experience and I just went there with the idea of soaking up as much as I could, but I learnt the, uh, yeah, the, the tough side of elite sport as well by seeing athletes around me who hadn't necessarily achieved their goals and perhaps hadn't really enjoyed the process of getting there. They just thought when we compete, you know, it'll make all the hard work worth it and... Uh, you know, anything can happen on the day, yeah. as you know, or the, the days leading up. You can get ill, you yeah. can false start, you can... And uh, I sort of said to myself at that point, if I want to go for, try for the 2016 Olympics and beyond, I really want to make sure I'm enjoying the process and celebrating the successes along the way. And as we sit here today, you know, coronavirus has led to races all over the world being cancelled, Olympics, we just don't know what's going to happen. And I just feel so grateful that I learnt that lesson in, in 2012 um, that's really ensured that I've had balance in my life and celebrated everything along the way because this could be a really stressful time for a lot of people um, who have had that goal potentially stripped from them or, or altered. <laughs> yeah, that because that, that, the build-up for any race, like even just doing when I did London, like there's that, you're literally doing everything every day towards that one time. Yeah. And and even that from a four-year block period on an on a Olympic side of things, I find that fascinating because mm. you could go, you'd be going through your training so well, bang, coronavirus happens, yeah. bang, your own illness happens. Yeah. And then it shatters it. I, don't, I have no idea how people deal yeah. with that. Have you ever had anything like that come about? Um, well, my first, I guess, time I was faced with thinking I may not be able to compete at a major championship that I was building towards was in 2014 for the yeah. Glasgow Commonwealth Games. I sustained a stress fracture in my foot and found out in about April and the Com Games were happening in early July. And I remember sitting there cross-training. I'd never um, experienced a marathon build-up that didn't involve pretty much all running. So I didn't know whether cross-training was going to, you know, set me up well for this race or, you know, how it was going to all end up. And at one point I thought... <laughs> 
If you need to do something with Billy, you, do you take care of him? He's gone from singing to crying. <laughs> I might just uh, get no, him out yeah. and bounce him for a sec. Yeah, do it, do it. Oh, he's big. Yeah. He's a big lad. Do you want to be a part of this? Um, he's involved now. He we is. got him in. You're a part Billy's of it. in. <laughs> so, um, yeah, in 2014, I prepared in a very different way. Um, you know, my brother at the time had a serious foot injury, a stress fracture as well, and that was affecting his footy he he was out for the season so we talked a lot and he was great for keeping me um in a I guess a positive frame of mind and focusing on one day at a time and I I got to the race just feeling open-minded I guess thinking you know I trained differently maybe it was better than the training I would have done otherwise who knows mm -hmm. and um got out there and and managed to get a personal best and um got a bronze medal in the end and that's still one of the highlights of my career to date because I just remember the uncertainty uncertainty at times and uh, crossing the line was really emotional because I, I had family members there and we all just really weren't expecting that so it was a real surprise and um, I developed a lot of resilience from the process of getting to that race that's helped me in later years so yeah there's is there any way you can even train for stuff like that like because <laughs> I've, I've heard of i've heard of psychologists within olympic teams yeah like not booking things certain ways and like really messing up on on like um, training camps like purposefully messing up and and like booking the wrong bus or book getting things timings wrong and yeah. throwing the athletes off to see if they can deal with that that yeah, yeah. So, so on the day it's not perfect yeah. but what are you going to do to produce a result that you need yeah exactly and i mean fast forward two years the rio olympics i i actually sustained a stress fracture in the other foot which i knew how to prepare and how to deal with that but on the thursday before the race so the race was on sunday I was um, getting just warming up for my final session and um, tripped on a hurdle around the track and landed on a metal um, foot of the hurdle and um, gashed my quad and there was this open wound there and so I didn't get to train. I spent the next couple of days just doing wound management and again, it kind of, it could have really thrown me but I think I'd, I've just had experiences now that have taught me that you You've just got to do what you can do to, to make a positive uh, scenario out of it and yeah. try and work out how you can use that to your advantage. It's sort of like, okay, well, let's use this as a few extra days of rest. Um, sort of takes the pressure off. It might hurt a bit during the run, but if it wasn't that, it would be something else hurting and you just have to try and reframe things that happen. So. Yeah. How, are you, how are you generally prepping for a marathon? Like, What's your general prep? Weeks um, out, months out? Well, generally we'll go for like a 12-week specific marathon cycle where you build up to your really long, like two-and-a-half-hour runs, potentially okay. with some marathon pace efforts within them. So what are you doing before that then? So what would general training look like for um, you? Yeah, look, the last oh, basically eight years or since um, London 2012, I've kind of always had a marathon on the horizon that I am building okay. towards. So I recover from one and then I'm already starting to think about the next one. I've yeah. only sort of done two to last year, uh, sorry, in 2018, three a year, but I haven't really had a phase of not knowing what my next race is. So I'll generally 
recover from a marathon by having two weeks of really casual exercise, two weeks of building back, so four weeks of um, informal kind of training, and then we'll start to, to build up with, it used to be three sessions, like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and my big long run on a Sunday, and then a medium long run on the Wednesday. But since having Billy, it's been a session on the Tuesday and Friday and then the long run on Sunday. So I've cut one of the sessions out just to manage my load and um, be smart during a time where I guess I'm a bit more vulnerable to injury. And um, I've incorporated a lot more cross training. So so what sort of mileage are you clocking up? So, you know, the last couple of weeks have been 140 kilometres, but a normal marathon oh. build might get up to 200. Oh so I guess... If I factor in the cross training I've been doing though, I you could probably add on a, a few more case <laughs> yeah. to the 140. I I don't know how to quantify it, but um, yeah, it's it's been pretty um, full on and certainly feels the equivalent to my other marathon builds where I'm doing more kilometres just because I'm burning energy elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. looking we're, after this little guy. Looking on, Billy. Um, <laughs> look, I I'd um, spoken to we had a, I had a podcast with Dan Lawson, GB Ultra Runner, and um, he actually said running a marathon was harder than doing what he does, where he does races over 24 hours and above 100 miles. But he was like, a marathon is it's just an assault on everything. It just yeah. it's just an absolute pain cave of a thing. Like, and he he was talking about because you're against the clock. That's what you're focusing. You're just literally trying to push your systems mm. to beat that clock with all the prep that you're doing like you're running 200k plus in a in a week what's your sort of recovery and nutrition uh, nutrition when i did when i did the marathon it was the that was the biggest eye-opener was the nutrition needed yeah. like nutrition for me was just oh my god what am i gonna what am i gonna do on the day like yeah. so so what are the things that you do to lead up during a marathon and then post marathon yeah well i guess um as I said, I was fortunate to grow up in an environment where mum and dad, you know, mum loves cooking, dad's um, a vet, but also um, has a real interest in um, nutrition and soil science and animal nutrition, which has transferred across to human nutrition as well. Yep. So I grew up eating sort of everything in moderation. There's no specific diet. Um, but I do love food, so I, I can eat a lot of it, which is important when you're training for a marathon. <laughs> After the Olympics in 2012, I started working with Olivia Warns, who's a um, the South Australian Sports Institute sports dietitian, and she um, sort of started preparing specific two-day um, carbohydrate load plans for me for marathon. So wow. I guess my weekly training involves, you know, having a carbohydrate snack heading out the door for training coming back and having a a meal like a breakfast that's rich in protein and carbs and all of my meals I'm trying to get in as many um good nutrients and whatnot as, as possible to help my immune system and, and recovery yeah. but there's no special diet I, I follow other than I eat a bit a of everything and, and a lot of it I, I really do love my big three meals a day and then um lots of snacks around them and I've definitely consumed more with um, Billy, like I'll have a midnight snack most nights <laughs> after a feed. Um, and as I said, I, I do follow a bit of a carbohydrate loading plan leading yeah. into a race. And I tend to keep that a more low fibre carbohydrate load just so that you don't get to the start line feeling too stodgy from all of the uh, food you've consumed. Yeah. Um, and then 
my in-race nutrition we're constantly tweaking a little depending on the conditions and you know on a hot day you might focus more on the hydration um, in the case of Toronto which was my most recent one um, you know it was one degree so hydration still important but wasn't a big focus um, yeah there's there's so when you look into it when I was trying to research what to do you just realize there's so many theories yeah. there are so many theories yeah. when it comes to marathon running and I like what to eat because I don't I guess you're other than drinks throughout a race you're not really taking on too much um food because you're actually running so quickly yeah well I have gels um okay. I tried, you go gels yeah there's the little um like chomp thing like lolly things you can have I tried that in training once and I couldn't chew and breathe at the same time yeah, okay. so yeah I will have a few gels um throughout the race and ultimately you're trying to get as many carbs in as possible without upsetting your guts so that's something you can train um you, you do know, train that years. so you yeah. train throughout your like to actually take on food yeah. whilst you're whilst you're running for sure how yeah. long do you reckon that takes to kind of get used to it well I mean my first marathon I was able to take on a fair bit without upsetting my guts um but i've always been someone who can like, eat a meal then head out the door okay. and my guts sort of handled that okay i know some people have sensitivities to certain sugars mm. and that's where it gets a bit trickier i just get turned off a gel after about two marathons so i've been through that many brands of gels and flavors where you know i'll finish a marathon and be like nah i'll never be able to stomach one of those again <laughs> you <laughs> just, straight away back on them yeah well you just <laughs> that taste that sweet kind of taste yeah. that you're left it's a weird with texture as well you, yeah you kind of crave something you know salty after a marathon well i tend to i yeah. feel like steering clear of sugar for a little while because you're just filling yourself up with sweet drinks and gels throughout so um i think that is the difference um between marathon and ultra marathon running in the ultra marathon some athletes will opt for the sort of fat yeah. um yeah but I think to date the research shows that the most efficient fuel um, for fast running is is still carbohydrates it yeah. takes um, less energy to burn them it will transfer it to energy so yeah and I guess you're actually again you're probably taking on with the time you're running you're taking on less because you're running faster like I did my my marathon in like four hours and and four hours of not eating anything it was just not gonna happen yeah yeah and I, I was gels I was yeah drinks and and um it was just such an experience like it was literally an experience of like what can my body do yeah. and can it, what can it be capable of doing around this around this this track uh, one of the questions I actually got from social media was what do you do to to recover and, and de-stress from your training and your sport and and things like that so once you're finished um whether it's training or a marathon like there's certain things that you do to to not only recover your body but recover your mind because mm. it is it is a psychological stress yeah. as well marathon running well by nature i'm not very good at resting um i'd love to be able to say i can put my feet up and just switch off or you know listen to you know a, a meditation or um, go for a nap or something but I've just always struggled to stop I like mm. to be busy and out and about so it's something I've since having Billy it's been really nice I, I do just love sitting there and playing with him and watching him and that's been my I guess moment to stop and just be mindful and in the moment um, in the last four and a half months but I guess prior to that um Art is my sort of switch off activity. So drawing cool. and painting and uh, just, I do love just getting out and 
enjoying nature at its best as well. So whether it be to go to the beach or go for a walk at you know, park or something there and sitting down for coffee with friends and yeah. family dinners and whatnot there really my, switching off from training yeah really getting away as from it. it's not so much a go and lie in bed and and try to think about nothing it's just um having those moments where you're not thinking about running and yeah. letting your feet rest <laughs> yeah yeah with, with feet um how important is your, your footwear for you? Because again, yeah. that's a big t- talk, talking yeah. topic in, in marathon running. What sort of shoes are you It's It's really in? important. And I think like nutrition, when you find something that works for you, I, I like to sort of stick with that. So yeah. the first time I found a nutrition plan that worked for me in a race, I haven't deviated too far from that. Similar to shoes, like I started wearing ASICS um, shoes in 2013 and I just love that I know ASICS really well now I know that they work for me Um, you know they tweak their models and new race flats sort of come out and I try them in training and um, I think I like a shoe that I feel efficient and smooth in and that doesn't rub anywhere they're the simple things Um, and that feel supportive um, enough or lightweight enough for the distance I'm focusing on at the time. So for my longer runs, I'll wear a heavier, more supportive shoe. And then for racing, I like a really light shoe. Yeah. It's, um, do you, and then when you're, when you're, so like I've, I've gone to more barefoot running as well. Like mm. I've done a lot of, but I haven't, I've never, I've never confused the fact that you, there's no, like you can, there are people that run marathons barefoot. Um, there are people that run very minimalist shoes, but for most sports, for example, tennis, cricket, rugby, football, whatever, you have to wear a, a shoe that's yeah. designed for that sport. You yeah. have to. Pretty pretty similar with marathon running at that elite level. Yeah. Like you have to use a specialized shoe. Is there anything you do sort of in between your races? Like I get out of my shoes as soon as I can just mm. to try and make sure I'm not becoming so dependent on them. Mm. And I've felt a massive difference in my joints, my ligaments. I felt like they haven't... Um, they haven't sort of tightened up as much. They feel a lot more natural, like my feet feel stronger and things like that. Is there anything mm-hmm. that you do outside of your training, like trying to get it, as well as that mental decompression, but the physical yeah. physical side? I mean, I think it's important to feel things with your feet. Like I love just walking around. I tend to walk around the house just in my socks and whatnot. But, you know, if you can take your shoes off at the beach and walk in the sand, provided you don't have plantar fascia problems at the time or yeah. something, I think it's challenging. Like we go away at Christmas time often to the beach and you, you really work your foot muscles working mm. in the, walking in the sand and you've got to be careful that you don't overdo it. But I think just, um, you know, feeling the ocean and the mud and the sand and your feet's really important. Again, mm. it's sort of that getting in touch with, you know, nature and uh, f- uh, shoes are, are great, but I think you can become a bit too reliant on that support if you, you're wearing them all the time. It's good to work your intrinsic foot muscles as well. Yeah. yeah. So we've got some questions that um, some people brought in for this um, for this podcast mm-hmm. one of them was were you natural at running did you did you once you started <laughs> did you just feel natural like it, it actually it did feel pretty natural to me unlike swimming I um my Olympic dream started with thinking I'd try and um be like Susie O'Neill and that was very short-lived like I just I don't feel like I move well through the water but running just I feel free and yeah from the first race I did as a five-year-old, I just felt like it was where I was meant to be. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then one of the next questions was, do, how do you stay motivated to run? Because 
I've I've found throughout my trainings that you tra- you do naturally just dip in your motivation. Yeah. It's really hard, and with long distance running, I can imagine it's just very mentally draining to yeah. want to get up and do that distance. So, what? How do you find that you stay motivated for so long? I think at the end of the day, you really need to know your why. You need to know why why you you do it and I think for me having long and short-term goals is really important so having that ultimate goal knowing why I'm actually why that goal is there and what it means to me you got to keep coming back to that is it that you want to raise some money for a charity is it that you want to you know just have a personal health challenge is it that you want to try and inspire some others Um, there are so many reasons why people run and when the going gets tough, if you can come back to those reasons, it, it definitely helps you to stay focused. But for me, having the short-term goals is essential as well. If I have a goal to run a marathon in four months' time, that's not enough to keep me motivated every day. I need yeah. to know that um, in two weeks I have a park run that I'm going to try and have a bit of a dig in or, you know, tomorrow I'm meeting up with training partners, you know, that motivates me or, mm. you know having those little process goals really helps you to just focus on one day at a time and yeah that process is um so important if you can focus on the little things the big thing doesn't seem as daunting so hamburg was a small short-term goal Uh, um it was a sort of a long-term a plan and then it was um my short-term goals were i guess to get through each day of training and, and pull up well after you know the the c-section and with the um i guess the healing phase of pregnancy and childbirth and whatnot i had a lot of short go- term goals that i wanted to tick off mm. before i really set that hamburg goal once i'd set the hamburg goal i guess my longer term goal was either to um yeah run a marathon again you know mid-year or at the end of the year and, and hamburg would be a platform to sort of see um, you know how it felt following childbirth, birth to run a marathon, and and I guess get, you know dip my toe back in the water. So so now that's kind of gone. Have you mm. are you currently reassessing what the next goal is? Do you know what yeah. your big long term goal is going to be? It's really hard to set short and medium term goals at the moment with all the uncertainty yeah. around coronavirus. But my longer term goal is to represent Australia again at an Olympics or Commonwealth Games um, or World Championships Um, but yeah the process of qualifying at the moment it's all a bit up in the air we don't know whether this will be something that you know clears in four months or a year it's sort of hard to know when events will be back on track and then how logistically yeah qualification processes are all going to pan out <laughs> yeah no that is it's such a tough time for everyone really like and you kind of forget not only that there's a lot of people that are frustrated with the amount of events that have been cancelled mm. to watch them but the actual athletes that have trained so much to, yeah. to get in the events themselves it's it's i mean you know london marathon's been moved for another six months yeah so that's really really tough that's, yeah um, really hard last question um before we don't want to take up too much more time for Billy. <laughs> but um, the last question was, if you could do anything for a day, what would it be? Oh, I think it's wow. a really nice question. I even got me thinking that. What would I anything do for a day? Anything for a day? Oh, look, it would be with my family and it would involve food and nature. <laughs> <laughs> it would probably be just like, 
you know, St. Moritz in Switzerland is one of my just I, – it's like a utopia there, I think. Um, having – the world's best picnic, like all of my favourite foods, and really are a food going holic, off, aren't you? Yeah. You, you know, into the mountains and like going for a bit of a walk and exploring and just sitting down and eating food at the best sites with uh, my favourite people. Um, I think that'd be pretty good. Oh yeah, that is, that is good. There's always it's always somewhere in the world that you have that's like a literally a happy place. Like, yeah. no, I've got a couple of those there. They're really nice. Look, Jess, I think that's. Um, I can't think of anything else <laughs> at the moment, but um, Billy's been amazing. Been a good boy, haven't He's been you? Great. Do you want to say anything? Oh, he really mm. wants the mic. No, <laughs> look, Jess, thank you so much for um, for your time and and like all the best for anything that's coming up. Then once everything gets sorted and there's hopefully some real goals that you can achieve, you're, just, you're very very driven towards it. And <laughs> to do it as a new mum is super inspiring to to women. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been great Thanks talking for- to you. Having me on your podcast. Cheers, thanks, yes. <laughs> thanks again for listening to the Raising Your Game podcast. You can support in a variety of ways by leaving a review, a rating, even subscribing or sharing on social media with a friend. Find me on Instagram at the Sport Yogi, Twitter Lewis underscore Hatchet, and also on Facebook the Sport Yogi. If you'd like to improve your physical and mental performance in your sport, then you can join me on my online training centre where you can work on stretching out tight muscles, boosting your strength, growing a strong mindset, harnessing stress and focus to help you prepare, perform and recover to your best. Get 10 classes for free, but also a subscription service where you can gain full access to all the videos. Head over to thesportyogi.com for more. I'm also running a mentoring program that looks at helping guide you through the ups and downs of your journey towards your sporting goals. Whether that be just goal setting, structuring, physical, mental, or even just lending an ear, the sessions are going to be tailored towards depending on whatever your needs are. I'm going to take my professional experience in sport and also my expertise to help support you towards your dreams. Places are limited as this is an exclusive service and the sessions are either going to be done via video chat or in person, just depending on your location. Head over to thesportyogi.com forward slash mentoring for more details. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll see you again soon.